Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for giving us your word, that we can come to know you more by your spirit and by your word, that you have spoken to us clearly, that we can look to you and, and reflect and also be sanctified by your truth. Your truth, your word is truth. Lord, I pray that you would separate us from the world tonight, sanctify us, cutting our fleshly desires off. Lord, we pray that you would give us the faith that we can trust in you, putting off all that is not of you, but is of the world. Lord, that we can separate ourselves, that we would be a part of the kingdom, becoming proclaimers and ambassadors of reconciliation. That we can look that it's not about being better than somebody else, but it's to look out for others, putting them above ourselves, that we would look to their interests, that they would come to know the grace of you, come to know the love that you are, come to know your son, Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would uh, work, with, work through me and use your spirit to work in our hearts and our minds tonight. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> As I said earlier, we're going to uh, be rounding off at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Now, in uh, Matthew 4, we saw Jesus coming and pre uh, proclaiming and preaching the same thing that John the Baptist came and said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so then Christ comes and he continues to proclaim that this kingdom is coming, the one in which he is the king. And so he comes forth proclaiming the kingdom. He then teaches on this hill. He goes forth and expounds upon what it is to be a part of this kingdom. He starts off by opening up, talking about the characteristics of a kingdom person. And we saw that, of course, through the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And it continues on to the pinnacle to say that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That someone who is totally poor in spirit not relying on their own selves, but instead looking only for righteousness in God. That this kingdom person is not someone who trusts in themselves, but trusts in God. And then we continued on to talk about the substance of a kingdom person. How we are to interact with the world. How we are the salt of the earth. How we are the light of the world. That our works should be shown Glory will be brought forth to the Father in heaven. And then we went to see that Christ is the fulfillment of all righteousness. That he came not to take away the laws, not to take away the, what the prophets said, but to fulfill them. That he was the long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited king. Of course, the Pharisees and Many religious Jewish people were looking for somebody to come and overtake Rome, to overtake and bring forth the kingdom, to take the, uh, the throne of David and bring it back. And of course, Christ was a descendant of David. But he came and said that my kingdom is not of this world. And he talked about how the kingdom is a matter of the heart. And so he went forth and he expounded upon three of the Ten Commandments. He expounded upon and said, well, you've heard it said before, you've heard it taught this way, that as long as you don't sin on the outward, you're okay. But he comes and says, well, sin comes from the heart. And we looked at James and how temptation comes and gives birth or desires give birth to temptation, and then you're drawn out into sin. And so sin comes from the heart. So if you were to hate a brother without a cause, call them you fool, that it would be 
comparable to murdering them in your heart. And that if you were to look at somebody with lust in your eyes, it's the same as committing adultery. And that if you were to break an oath or a promise, whether how small or big, that is, it's a lie. And so he was coming forth and saying that sin comes from the heart, and it's not about outward appearance. But of course, he brings in this, this great contrast between the Pharisees, the self-righteous, and the ones who are poor in spirit. The ones who look only to Christ, who only look to God for righteousness. The ones who live in faith in themselves, and the ones who live in faith in God. And he goes and he talks about how the Pharisees don't be like these, but instead do it the way that I'm saying. Look further. Look that it's a matter of the heart. And he brought in forth about the greatest, the, that the second greatest commandment, or which is love thy neighbor as yourself. That we see that in Leviticus 19, that we're called to love our neighbors. And that this is the summation, that if you love your neighbor, that this is going to fulfill the law. Because if you love your neighbor, you won't be hating them. If you love your neighbor, you won't be coveting after what they have. If you love your neighbor, you won't be lying to them. If you love your neighbor, you won't be lusting after them. If you love your neighbor, you will be honoring them. And so Christ comes forth and says that the kingdom law is the law of love. And he goes with this talking about the law. He starts by saying he is the accomplishment of the law. And then he goes with this great commandment for us that we are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And so when we look at that and we're honest with ourselves, we become poor in spirit. And it's just this continual cycle of humbling us, having us look solely to Christ, having us look to Him, hunger and thirst for His righteousness. Then He compares again about the way of worship we went through the works of a kingdom person. And we talked about how practicing your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them is your only reward if you do so. If you look to feel good about what you do, and if you don't look to honor God, if you don't look to serve God and do things not to be seen, not for praise, but instead you do it for the benefit of the kingdom and the glory of the king, we must go and not be like the Pharisees. And he goes and talks about alms. He talks about praying. And he talks about fasting. That the Pharisees would go out to do things to be seen by them. But kingdom people aren't worried about praise of this world. Kingdom people are worried about their treasure that is in heaven. He then continues on <clears throat> and talks about what is that treasure of a kingdom person. He talks about how storing your riches here on this earth is not going to fulfill you. But instead, it will corrupt. It will rust. But we're to look above, set our affections on things above. Not to trust in the wealth of this world. But also not to trust in our own selves and our own efforts. But instead, seeking first, and he brings it back, seeking first the kingdom of his kingdom, and his righteousness. And he's emphasizing that this kingdom is established and sustained solely by Christ's righteousness. Then we continue on as we look to ourselves and we examine ourselves. How often then do we want to turn to somebody else and say, well, look at what they're doing. I'm doing better than them. So in chapter 7 last week, we went over the first part of this authenticity of a kingdom person. 
I was going to go through more scripture, but last Sunday I felt a great need to just go and focus on not judging one another, not bringing condemnation to one another, but instead looking to others to help them, to reprove them, to bring them to a right relationship with the Lord, to set them on the right path, to point out what is lacking, not to bring them down and bring you up, not to be conceited. See, we must first look at the log in our own eye. And so a kingdom person, an authentic kingdom person, is focused on the interests of other people, focused on the good of other people, focused on the reconciliation to bring more people into the kingdom rather than to focus on what they're doing what they are getting or gaining out of this. So let us go to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 7, and we're going to go through five different, five different aspects of an authentic kingdom person. So let us read Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And to the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? In chapter 5, he ends, be perfect, like your heavenly Father is perfect. He brings in this relationship to say that if you are indeed a part of the kingdom, God is your Father. And you have an inheritance of this kingdom. You have an inheritance of eternal life in this kingdom that is ruled by love. He then goes in with prayer in Matthew 6 to talk about how our Father in heaven knows what we need before we even ask him. And then says, don't worry about how you're going to be provided for. The birds are fed, the flowers grow, and they're beautiful, more beautiful than Solomon's coat. So why would you worry? But instead, look to your Father in heaven. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so there's this relationship that comes in that is a part of a kingdom person. Not only are we citizens, we're children of the king. And so an authentic kingdom person seeks after the goodness from God. An authentic kingdom person looks and knows that if there's anything good, anything lovely... As Paul says in Philippians 4, if there's anything true, think on these things. Well, where do these good and perfect gifts come from? Where do these good things come from? We know from James chapter 1, verse 17 through 18, every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures James is saying that we know that every good and perfect gift that anything that is good so what is this good thing that we're to seek out what are these good things that our father will give us if we start to think, well, it's worldly wealth, if it's, it's stature, if it's uh, position, if it's things that are going to fade away as time goes, we know we have to refer back your treasure, where your treasure lies, your heart lies also. And that the heart of a kingdom person finds its treasure in heaven. So what are these good things? We can often look at these verses that Christ talks about 
asking, ask and you shall receive. And we can often think, well, that's, you know, I need a new, uh, a new, brand new Mercedes car or a brand new, you know, this, or I need a job that earns me, you know, six figures, or I need this, or I need that. And you think that there's all these things that we need, but rather it's not things that are lasting, things that will last forever, not things that are eternal. We know that things that are seen are temporary. Things that are unseen are eternal. So what are we to ask for? Now, in Luke, in the account of this Sermon on the Mount, in Luke, in chapter 11, he goes forth and he talks about this, and this account has uh, some more things like, if you were to ask for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? But then he ends, how much more will your Father in Heaven give you the Holy Spirit. And of course, what does this mean to receive the Holy Spirit? That is to be born again. That is to be born of the Spirit. That is to be raised up with Christ, made new, made alive, made into a kingdom person who is driven and led by the Spirit of God. So we have to think kingdom-mindedly about this when we see, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. This isn't about earthly treasure, but it's about heavenly things, about things that will last. 1 John chapter 5, 13 through 15. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. <clears throat> John writes that he desires for us to believe in this name of the Son of God, which is Jesus Christ, and that we would know that we have eternal life, that we're born again. But then he continues, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If we were to take this verse out of context and we would just say, see, if you ask anything in Jesus' name, you'll get it. You want a new toy or a new bike or a new computer or new something that will bring you pleasure rather than drive you to Christ. If you ask for these things that will bring you convenience rather than, uh, rather than sanctification, if you look for an easy time to just get, get over it and have no suffering, where we are just looking to, we can just coast through this earth, this world, we fail to recognize what he's saying. That if we ask anything according to his will, what, what is God's will? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're to pray for those leaders, for the leaders, the governors, Pray for all of those who are in charge, that we may live a quiet and peaceful life, that we would pray that they would come to know Jesus Christ, that we would pray that other people will come to repentance, seeking out God. We're looking at other lost people, and we have to recognize we were there too. But by the grace of God, by the grace of God, we believe on the name of the Son of God and that we have eternal life. So the will is that people will repent and come to him. This is a kingdom-minded thing to, to, to focus on. That it is about people coming to know the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It's not about ourselves. We have given up our lives We've given up what our will is, what our hopes and dreams are. We've given up what we desire on this earth to realize the only thing worth desiring, the only thing worth looking to is Christ Jesus. James 1, 5 talks about another good thing that we often lack. That if any of you lacks wisdom, and I know I do, 
I know oftentimes I fail to have a wise outlook on anything. And I have to just look to God and say, Lord, help me. I don't know what I'm doing. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we're looking to wisdom of God, not wisdom of the world, not things that, you know, 50 ways to make your life easier, 50 ways to make you rich, 50 ways to do this, 50 ways to uh, have a better household or to get a raise in your job. This is all about trusting in the world, the worldly wisdom. But instead, the wisdom of God is things where it's how to approach somebody in gentleness, how to approach somebody in words that will not make an offense, but rather bring them to repentance. Wisdom on knowing how to relate to somebody, how to have compassion on them. Wisdom on how to raise your children. Wisdom on how to deal with a boss who is uh, unruly. Wisdom to know how to be like Christ. He continues on about asking, and then he says, seek, and you will find. Many times we see in the scriptures that we're called to seek him. Many are called, few are chosen. God calls all to repent. But we have the responsibility to seek after him. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 13. Two verses after. The most often quoted, I've seen it on coffee mugs, seen it on t-shirts. I know the plans I have for you. Plans for you to prosper. And God is talking to Jerusalem, saying that you're going to be in exile in Babylon. That you are going to go through 70 years of exile. That it would bring you to the point of repentance. But he then says, you will seek me. Not if you seek me, but he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart, with all your heart. We're to seek after God, asking him for good things, seeking after him and him alone, like that widow with the judge that we saw in that you can read in Luke 11. She would come and ask and beg and beg and beg. And finally the judge said, your, your request is granted. Or the one who needed bread because he had a late traveler went to his neighbor. His neighbor didn't, ask, didn't open the door because they were friends. He opened the door to stop him from knocking. So we're to seek and knock. We're to seek and we'll find him. We're to knock. We're to beg for God to change us. We're so desperate. We need to be so desperate for the Lord to work in our lives. Not being idle. Not thinking, well, Lord, you can change me whenever you want. I know you're sovereign over all things. That, you know, eventually I'll become a better Christian or a better follower of Christ. I'll be more faithful. But no, we're to seek as though our life depends on it. We're to seek him. And this is a call to those who are listening also that may be outside of the gates of the kingdom. The watchman on the wall shouting out, seek the Lord. Come to the kingdom. Isaiah 55, 6-7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Again, this is about being right with God. Repenting. Knowing that he alone is the one who can save and deliver us. We're to seek him also for provision. Matthew 6, 33, that we have read 
a few weeks ago. Seek first the, his kingdom, the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Do not worry about tomorrow. Today has its own troubles. And so we're to seek God for these good things, for provision, for salvation and deliverance, for knowledge, wisdom, that we become more like him. Christ continues on in verse 12 with another aspect of an authentic kingdom person. An authentic kingdom person loves their neighbor. We've seen this before in chapter 5. Love your neighbor as yourself. But here he says it in a little bit different way. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. He knows the heart of man. He knows that we want good things to happen to us. We want people to treat us nicely. We want people to give us the benefit of the doubt. We want people to give us gentle criticism rather than harsh, conceited criticism. We want people to approach us and, and as I moved down to Pittsburgh, I, I, I don't know if this is a thing, but I've kind of learned that whether or not it's your turn to go at a stoplight or a stop sign, the other person wants you to let them go. And so you just kind of have to, and I don't know if the, I just kind of started saying, well, it's the Pittsburgh wave. You got to give them the Pittsburgh wave and just, because otherwise, if you don't let somebody go, they're real nasty to you and they don't like it. And you'll probably get honked at. This is out of all the cities I've been to so far, Pittsburgh is a honking city. So like, and, and I don't mean to, to get off and not be serious about this, but what I'm saying is that if you desire somebody to treat you nicely in traffic, even something simple as that, then why are you going to pull out in front of somebody or cut them off or, you know, even just thinking about that? Because you want to be first, right? And so, well, I want you to be nice to me, but when it comes down to how I'm going to treat you, I'm not going to have any regard for it. Christ says that whatever we wish that others would do to us, we need to do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Referring back to the law and the prophets, saying that this is love thy neighbor as yourself. That we're to consider other people. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, as he was on this earth, I would say did nothing for himself, but instead gave all for everybody else. That he would look to others' interests. That even though he was with, King, uh, with Jairus, the, uh, the synagogue leader, and he was going to go and deal with the daughter, healing the daughter, this woman came who years and years were he was hemorrhaging. And she had the faith to say, well, if I only touch his robe. He didn't stop and say, get out of here, woman, I'm busy. But instead, he looked and he acknowledged her. He gave her time. He said, your faith has made you healed. And the, the poor, the poor beggar that was blind, Bartimaeus, they said, oh, leave him alone. Get out of here. But he says, no, let him come to me. What do you desire? And he says, Lord, I desire to see again. And he says, your faith has made you here. Heal. Look. And he saw. And then he followed after Christ. Christ was the most selfless person. He gave his life as a ransom. He gave his life to become the propitiation, the sin offering. He passed over our sins and became the justifier of those who would have faith in him. Are we greater than our master? That we would say, well, 
I'm only going to live for myself. A kingdom person does not live for themselves, but a kingdom person lives for the glory of God. And this, of course, is a narrow way. 13 through 14 in Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This gate into the kingdom is not easily entered. This path to Christ is not easily followed. But by the grace of God, by his spirit, that if indeed you become a kingdom person, you can do so. But it is not until you have the love of God in you. That when you only love those who love you, what reward is there? That if you only seek out what benefits you, what reward is there? That is your only reward. We're to look to others. Romans 15, verses 1 through 2. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. We're to look to the interests of others, for the benefit of others, those who are weak, restoring those who are weak in faith. James 5 talks about, is there any of you weak, any weak among you? Some say, are, is there any sick among you? Go to the elders. And he says that he will be restored. And this restoration isn't that he's getting over COVID or a cold. This restoration is that he's getting over these besetting sins or getting over these things that are hindering him, keeping him distant from seeking the Lord. The kingdom matter is a spiritual matter. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is talking about uh, the conscience. He's talking about food offerings that we're to be gentle in the way we approach people. That we're to look at other people's consciences rather than ours. That he says that if you're just focused on, you know, well, I can eat anything because I know you've offered it to a, a piece of wood and I can eat it, if that's going to cause the other person to stumble, we're to do this for their conscience sake. We're to say, no, I will not eat it because... I want you to wonder why. Well, it's I'm a kingdom person, and this is the way of the land. 1 Corinthians 10, 24, shortly before he says, whether you eat or you drink, do all for the glory of God, he says this, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So the golden rule that we often see, and I remember growing up seeing it in our elementary walls, um, maybe middle school, and then once you get to high school, and the, in the, in the by the guidance counselors, you know, the golden rule, you know. And I, I was thinking, well, if they only knew Christ was the one that came up with that, you know. But they, it says, do unto others as you'd have them do to you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Well, if you desire to be a kingdom person. You desire to be like Christ. You desire people to come and reprove you. You desire for people to come and encourage you. They, you desire people to strengthen you and build you up when you're weak. So let us look to the interests of others. And that's the way of the kingdom. He continues on, verses 15 through 20. The authentic kingdom... An authentic kingdom person bears good fruit. Beware of false prophets, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 
you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. He's coming in and contrasting again by using this, the imagery of a tree. He's saying that there's some who look like apple trees that may be producing good fruit. But of course, there's disease in there. And it's not profitable fruit. It's not fruit that will reproduce. It's not fruit that will expand the kingdom. But instead, it will affect others. Christ says that a bit of yeast spreads through the whole dough when talking about falsity in a church. That if somebody comes in with corrupt ideas, that bad company corrupts good morals. That coming in and having that, you'll see clearly that there's ravenous wolves desiring to bring destruction to the kingdom. But let us focus on us of are we bearing good fruit? Let us inspect our own fruit. Remember from Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Let us look at the logs in our eye. Are we bearing good fruit? Mark 4, verse 8. In the parable of the seeds, Christ comes forth and has four different soils. He says that there's some seeds that went into a stony ground that, that was the pathway. Birds came in, took it away. That th those seeds are the word of God. Somebody coming out and evangelizing, spreading out this uh, seeds that is the gospel. Somebody who has a hard heart, that it wants to not hear it at all, it'll be picked out. And he explains that those are demons or um, spirits that will come in and bring uh, doubt. And it will just be swiped up and the, the seed wouldn't even go into the soil. Then there's the next soil where it's rocky, where it comes up but there's no roots. Someone who's excited about the word of God, who seems to say, well, yeah, I like the benefits of the kingdom. Of course I want to be saved. Of course I want fire insurance. I want to be protected from being torn out and thrown into the eternal fire. People who want the benefits, but not the Christ. Those who have no root, but the word of God seems to be in their lives that they can maybe quote, or they like to come to church just to come to church, but there's no root in Christ. The sun comes, the troubles, and it withers away. And then there's those who don't have deep faith that seem to grow and they seem to really be having a great relationship. And it seems that way, but then the worries of this world come in and choke it out. But he talks about this one soil, the good soil. Mark 4, 8. And other seeds fell into good soil, producing grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And what is that original seed? That original seed's the gospel. So the good fruit is, are you going out, discipling the nations? Are you going out, proclaiming the gospel? Are you speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ? the one who has saved you? Or are you keeping your light, as he said in chapter 5, are you keeping your light under a bushel? Are you hiding the light that is within you? So we must go, and it's about becoming ambassadors 
of this kingdom. Bearing good fruit also can be seen in Christ-likeness, in good works, too. John 15, Christ goes and says that he is the vine. He is the root, and we're the branches. That the Father in heaven is the vine dresser. Verses 4 through 5, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're not rooted in Christ Jesus, built up and rooted in Christ Jesus, if you're not born again, if you're not becoming a kingdom person, by having poor in spirit, mourning over your sin, being meek, seeking after his hunger, hungering and thirsting after his righteousness. If you don't have these characteristics of someone who is a kingdom person, if you're not indeed truly salt, if you're not filled with the light, if your eye is unhealthy and your body's full of darkness, see, there's an authenticity of a kingdom person. And we must be rooted in Christ. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So if our root is bad, meaning that it's not Christ, but it's something else, if we're trusting in something else rather than Christ, we're going to bear bad fruit. It's going to be lust of the flesh. It's going to be anger. It's going to be malice. But we're to instead have the good fruit which is Christ's likeness. We see in Galatians 5, 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Again, it brings back this relational, looking to other people's interests, looking to look up to other people rather than looking down, being conceited. Not provoking one another, but begun being gentle, having love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the characteristics and the, the attributes of someone who is walking in the Spirit. Now, of course, we often fail. We often see, well, I failed to show love to that person. I failed to have joy, but instead I complained and murmured. I failed to have peace because I was anxious. I failed to be patient because I want what I want. I failed to have kindness because I was angry. I failed to have goodness because I just don't want to. I failed to have faithfulness because I doubt. I failed to have gentleness because I was focused on my own self. I failed to have self-control because I want what I want. But when we fail as a kingdom person, being poor in spirit, you realize you have a broken and contrite heart and your heart is convicted by the Holy Spirit and it brings us to the point where we look to Christ and that we desire to crucify our flesh, that we desire to put off our flesh, that we desire to put off these things that produce the works of unrighteousness. And we desire to look to Christ bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Christ continues on in verse 21. And he talks about the authentic kingdom person. An authentic, forgive my grammar here, an authentic kingdom person is known by God. Let's read verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice that these people who are not in the kingdom said, I did this for you. They're focused on themselves and what they did. They're saying, look what I have done. Haven't I earned my way? Christ says, you don't get it. You can't earn anything. With man, it is impossible. The only thing you earn is destruction. But by my grace, it is possible for you to come into the kingdom. I have made it possible, Christ says that he is the one who has accomplished the law and the prophets. And so when we look to him, we're focused on, we should be focused on what he has done. Because if we try to enter the kingdom of heaven by our own works, by knowing ourselves or trusting in ourselves, Christ will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So what is this knowledge? What is this to be known by God? 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. We know that there is no real living idols. They are just stone covered in metal. All of us possess this knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. Well, I can do this. I can do that. It's not going to harm me. And so when you start to think about yourself and not think about other people, putting their interests in their consciousness and in your mind, this knowledge pops up. But love, again, this back to this law of love, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not know yet. He does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And we know that we can love God because he first loved us. That by giving us our new heart, by giving us a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone, by giving us a new spirit, by cleansing our heart, by causing us to walk in his statutes, we become known by God and he knows us. God knows the hearts and minds of all men. But this is saying that him being known or him knowing us is that he is called our father. 1 Corinthians 13, in regards to doing things in love, loving God, that if you are to not have love, this is lawlessness. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. This is powerful. This is this is what Christ is saying when he replies to those who say, well, I have cast out demons. I have prophesied in your name. I've done all these mighty works. Christ says, I never knew you. You have not love. When the young rich ruler came up to Christ and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, what does the law say? What does the word say? And he begins to go down through the fifth through the tenth commandment. The ones in regards to loving our neighbors. And he says, well, I've kept all of these since my youth. This is the equivalent of us saying, I'm a good person. I'm all right. Everything I do is just fine. At least I'm not a murderer. I don't kill. 
I don't steal. I don't cheat. I don't do any of this on the outward. But in our heart, we're full of darkness. So he says, sell all your possessions and follow me. And the young rich ruler who had a lot, and he was in his youth and he had a lot, saw that this was a hard thing. And he walked away sorrowful. What is that one thing that he lacked? Christ says, there's one thing you lack. And I would say that it is love. Because Paul says this, that if I do all these things, but I have not love, I am nothing. I can become a martyr. I can go out and give my life and say, well, I'm going to go and get persecuted in China, and I'm going to get killed by being a missionary. But you do it for your own self, and you do it for your own glory, you're nothing. There's no kingdom-mindedness in that. When we start to, when we focus on ourselves, that is not the kingdom. Matthew 25 shows this difference between a kingdom person and a person who is of the world. The sheep and the goats, the left and the right, he separates them. And the goats say, well, wait, when did I have a chance to do all these things for you? But then the sheep say, well, when did I do this for you? The sheep, the kingdom people, weren't focused on getting any kind of recognition from what they're doing, but they did everything out of compassion and love. Matthew 25, 40, and the king will answer them. These are the ones who are on the right side, the ones who are kingdom people, the, goat, or the sheep. Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one, one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. We must love one another. We must love our neighbor as ourselves. And the only way we can do that is by having his spirit and being born again. We can love those who love us because it's convenient. But to love our enemies, to overcome evil with good, that's foreign concept to the world. They say an eye for an eye. But Christ says, turn your cheek and give them your other cheek. He did not revile against them. So we must build our life on Christ. An authentic kingdom person stands on solid ground. Verses 24 through 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He's coming and he's summing up this whole sermon. He says, okay, you've heard this whole sermon. And if you hear it, and you do these words, if you follow through, you hear it, you agree with it, you confess they're true, you're a wise man who's building his house on a rock. When then the rain falls and the floods come, the winds blow and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was that fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, and the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Christ came and didn't speak a word outside of the will of God. Christ being God, but he was in perfect union. He was, in, he was at one with the Father, and the Father was at one with him. And everything that came out of his mouth was truth. Everything that came out of his mouth was perfect. 
Everything that came out of his mouth was the word of God. And he had authority. And now we have the authority of the word of God in our Bible. And so we must look to this Bible, look to what has God said to us, and listen. Build our life upon Christ. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. If our root is not in Christ, if our foundation is not in Christ, our lives will fall. Our lives will be lives of destruction. Ephesians 2, 19 through 21. So then, if you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You go from being in the world to becoming a part of the kingdom, a fellow citizen with the saints, being built up, that this kingdom is being built by every member that is entered in. And so you look to others' interests as your own self. You go and you go proclaiming the gospel. John 14, 6 through 7, Jesus said this in regards to him being the only way. When they asked, we don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. Christ says, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. A kingdom person is on the way, the narrow way. A kingdom person is in Christ. Christ being in the Father and the Father in the Christ, we too, as he prayed in the high priestly prayer, are to be one in him and him in us. That we're to become built up as the temple of God with the spirit dwelling in us following him, listening to his words, knowing that he is the authority of truth. Then he sent forth, as we saw in Ephesians 2, he sent forth the apostles and the prophets. The prophets were sent by the authority of God, saying, Thus saith the Lord. And the apostles went forth, direct commandment from Christ himself to go forth. And they had the authority and now the authority is brought together in the word of God that we have. And so his special revelation that he has given us, he has spoken to us. And so we're to build our life upon this, seeking the kingdom, seeking his righteousness, hiding his word in our heart that we may not sin against him. So let us... Look at this as Christ sums up. As Christ finishes these sayings in the Sermon of the Mount, saying, this is what a kingdom person is like. This is how a kingdom person acts. This is what a kingdom person finds important. This is how a kingdom person lives. And this is the authenticity of a kingdom person. That it is someone who is in Christ, relying on Christ, seeking him, 
building their lives on him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this word that Christ has spoken, that Christ has come with all wisdom and all authority, delivering this perfect sermon, that we can come and look and to see what is a kingdom person. I pray that you give us wisdom, that we would found our life on you, that we would look to bear good fruit, that we would desire to be pruned, that we would have growth, that we would look to be corrected, that we would look for you to grow us, to bring the increase. And I also pray that you would put in us in our heart that we would go and plant the gospel. We would spread the seeds, bearing good fruit, bringing multiplication into the kingdom. And that we would also water, encouraging, building up, going to those who are weak and strengthening them, encouraging them. I pray, Lord, that we can be kingdom people that are kingdom-minded, focused on your kingdom, on your glory, and your honor alone. I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us in person, and thank you for joining us online. Have a great night.